of young heroes called The Animorphs. Hello and welcome to Metalmorph Millennials, the podcast I started to force my friends to read Animorphs and yell at them about unknowable time wizards. My name is Morgan. Um, my name is Jason, and the, the, the time magic is strong in this one. And my name is Kate. And today we are reading Animorphs book number seven, The Stranger, the one where we meet the unknowable time wizard. I honestly was sort of like, there's gotta be an Orcarina of Time reference or joke <laughs> or something. I don't know. But this one, I was like, I knew there was gonna be time travel in the series, and it wasn't as confusing as I thought it was gonna be because there wasn't any, like, but yeah. It was more of like a vision of the future kind of thing. I am right now putting uh, links to the covers in the Zoom chat, um, and I need you guys to see the inside cover, particularly with Second Link. Um, so yeah, the middle morph on that one is uh, obviously Rachel. It looks like it's a different model this time for Rachel for book seven than book two, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. They changed a lot. Her morphing into a, gr- a grizzly bear, but the middle morph is pretty fabulous. <laughs> Yeah, the middle morph is fine. Um, I feel like it's just it, what you would expect. It's not particularly like weird or gross. It's just like it's got bear teeth and a bear nose and ears coming out and is big. And uh, the inside cover, do you guys see Yeah, that the inside cover, man. Um, that's an interpretation. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a grizzly bear inside an actual like green marbled elevator uh with a uh bengal tiger and a gorilla okay marco and jake but um i i didn't interpret the the elevator type shaft as an actual elevator (laughs) well i think this this is when it's towards the end of the book when they're going up to the condrona yeah but i mean like even then weren't they supposed to be like coming up like a um what did they call it? Like a freight elevator? I thought that was like more Yeah, big this is and... very clearly like a hotel lobby. Yeah, yeah. And this looks like it's like meant to be in, you know, a fancy business building. Okay, and then here's the reprint cover, which <laughs> makes me giggle every time I look at it. Oh, it's like sad bear face. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like, I don't know what to do with this. So I'm just going to put her face inside of a bear like her the nose is the same the bear is mostly the same except it's got her eyes and her mouth and chin i'm i'm convinced it's definitely that stock photo of bear you see like anywhere <laughs> like on the cover of like the zoo to you books or whatever zoo to you textbooks like whatever it's just like this is the bear staring at you this is a bear brand bear I feel validated now for the artwork that I made for this podcast for our title page. This is very much the same mm. thing I did. I look hella cute. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you look adorable as a tiger. Uh, but yes, now I feel vindicated uh, <laughs> with this artist sure. choice. If anybody's uh, listening, freelance. <laughs> Kate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you guys want to be morphed, yeah, shoot me some freelance work. Yeah, email us at middlemorph on uh, gmail.com. Twenty dollars um, a morph. No, more than that. Come okay, on. fifty. Fifty. You twisted my arm. Fifty. <laughs> I think I'll use Morgan as my Morgan's will be my spokesperson. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Ah, low balls. Damn it. 
I can be tough in meetings, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This book, Morgan, like, seriously, it just feels like it did a whole 180 on the previous six books. Yeah, it was like, here's Q. Uh, Q exists. And here he is. He's exactly. here with exactly. us. Exactly. I wrote in my today. notes, like, okay, apparently we have Q now from Star Trek Next Gen just, like, popping up, <laughs> changing the just whole hanging. course of the... It, I mean, it made... It, it, it made this series like now so much more interesting at least for me i i uh, i totally agree with you kate this book yeah i was like okay this is this is sort of like i don't know what i would i was sort of expecting like i, I don't it felt like a jump in quality somehow it uh, did. like plot wise and um I, I was thinking about this at the end i was like you know what this would actually make a really good either like 45 minute hour long tv episode or maybe like a movie that's like in between like like it's like a setup movie or something, you know, like a, like a like yeah. a Black Mirror episode almost. Yeah, and yeah, um, this was an episode of the TV show. I don't remember if I said this in our like episode zero, but the only episode of the TV show I remember is the one where Axe gets a job at a cell phone store, mm-hmm. and the Yurks are using cell phones to infest people because you put the cell phone up to your ear and the Yurk goes. <laughs> Wait, but the Yurk can fit in the cell phone. The fuck is that? Wait a minute, don't this worry, is 1996. The, the cell phone's huge, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well. I, I think we've moved up to like the Nokia phones, so they're not huge. Okay, so but it's, it's not... like two thousand. It's like two thousand. I'm imagining like Wolf of Wall Street, like you know, way back. <laughs> giant. Block yeah, the just yeah. giant. Like, okay, yeah, you can fit in there, but no, okay, yeah, probably Nokia. Then maybe on the verge of flip phones. Well, I'm sure yeah. if it's it was, Nokia was the one that was also really hardy, right? Like lives forever. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. My mom had a, a flip phone from like two thousand three to like. 2016 or something i'm sure those phones still worked with the yurks inside them <laughs> it's true it's like actually you just get rid of the yurk and the phone still works that's our that's our slogan <laughs> uh this is a rachel book and i was looking up like the differences in the reprint and they're pretty much non-existent there's it's mostly like spelling and minor continuity errors like yeah okay. there's not a lot there so we're getting kind of to the end of the reprints there's only one more after this so yeah i i will say compared to book two like this this rachel book like beat it far and beyond in terms of quality and just so much more like um just uh motivation character arc It, it like obviously i understand your viewpoint now morgan like she's very cool as a character but this this story like really came into its own and and really helped drive her plot and the whole plot of the the series forward it it was it was a good one yeah book two doesn't really get into like her like we mentioned not a lot happens in book two whereas i feel like this one does have a lot of downtime in it but a lot happens as far as like plot and parallel plots like literally yeah. there's two plots that are both running alongside each other um and we get to know Rachel and her deal yeah it's sort of like oh here's like the first season of a show and it's okay they're finding their footing they're yeah it's very all the characters. Yeah. book two is like Parks and Rec season one yeah. and, now, <laughs> and now we're definitely on to like okay season now, four <laughs> yeah season four we, we got we got some stride uh yeah. all hail parks and rec mm-hmm. um <laughs> so this one starts off with um rachel just gives a little primer about the yurks and how they're kids that can turn into animals to fight the yurks well and really quickly i like her thing she's like and you know the drill and i was like oh girl yes thank Stuff you <laughs> referencing meta <I'm> like yes 
<laughs> you know this by now, it's book seven. Yeah, and so she just kind of gives like a brief overview. And then we transition into the opening shenanigans of the book. You know, at the beginning of every book, someone has to do some something stupid and outside of Animorphs purview. And Rachel's at the circus late on a Sunday night, and she's with Cassie. And Rachel notes how they'd come to the circus with Rachel's dad and Rachel's sisters for their like once every other weekend gathering. And it was more her sister's thing, so she dragged Cassie too. And earlier in the day, before the show, they went to the elephant pen and they saw that the trainer was using a cattle prod on the elephants. Yeah, and so she says the elephant trainer's name was Joseph something, something hard to pronounce. And I'm like, um... (laughs) Americans yeah. can ha- be animal abusers too, okay? <laughs> it, it makes it seem like he's like a shady Eastern European guy. And it's like, I mean, no, he's just an um, American suck too. <laughs> he's just an asshole. Yeah. Um, and then also there's a little side note. We learned that Rachel's dad is into gymnastics and that's kind of why she got into it. He was almost a U.S. Olympic gymnast. That was a really um, interesting fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just like, oh, okay, this this is this is cool. Like giving some better backstory on her motivations and everything. It, I, I thought that was really cool. Nice little Yeah, and I, I noted how like you, I mean, especially during this time, it was like, gymnastics was just the thing you took your little girls to and it was really nice to be like no actually she got into this because her dad gender flip is into it so that was cool and you know what's another thing about her dad i totally forgot her parents were divorced i was like oh wait that's right (laughs) yeah that's like one of the primary things yeah i feel like it's I don't know how old Sarah is supposed to be. I think she's supposed to be like six or seven. She's yeah, so, she's the youngest. Yeah, and then and then Jordan, uh, who I always identified with because, like I said, my name is Morgan. Her name's Jordan. They're the same. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rachel's like what thirteen, fourteen. So so maybe Jordan's like ten, maybe ten or eleven, 11. twelve, something. But that's there. like she the, seems very mature. Like the age of Cassie. <laughs> I mean, are the age of Rachel? Like, how old are these kids? Like, for little sister, which seems like I don't know. I thought, I thought the little was... sister seems very mature. Like, she seems like she's thirteen, fourteen. It's very Buffy and Dawn syndrome. I know. I I was I was sort of thinking like she was like like eight or nine. Like sometimes you can have like a pretty mature younger you know child. If, are you, you talking? Know. You're talking about Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Jordan. I... Jordan. Oh. Sarah, Sarah doesn't get what's going on. She's she's like six or seven. Oh, okay. But Jordan, I, I think, is at least in double digits, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I brought that up was because I feel like they've been divorced for a while. So it's not like a thing that she... It's not like fresh and new, a thing that she's always talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so Rachel, being Rachel, decides to do something about those cattle prods um, at the elephant pen. So... Her and Cassie sneak into the elephant pen, who Rachel notes filled with Asian elephants, and she has an African elephant morph. So Distinctly she's like, well, close different enough. in size, but yes, <laughs> yes, and and Asian elephants have significantly smaller ears, mm-hmm. so it's pretty obvious when you put them together. African elephants have those big elephanty ears. <laughs> <laughs> elephanty, perfect. <laughs> the ones that look a lot better. We won't see an elephant on the cover of a book until book 42, though. So, fun fact oh, wow. for you. Her iconic. Yeah. That's her ic- surprising. An iconic book that everyone loves. Yeah. Stairs. <laughs> anyway. So, she starts to morph her elephant 
and waits until the trainer walks in. Uh, she's fully morphed, but the trainer walks in. She grabs him with her trunk, lifts him into the air, and he's like, what? What's happening? And she's like, hi, Joseph, I said using thought speak. He's like, who said that? I'm hearing voices. She says, me. I said it. See, Joseph, I am from the International Elephant Police. We've had some complaints about you. <laughs> and I just love that. It's like, I'm just, it's very Doctor Who as well. Like, we're getting a lot of parallels. And we've got Star Trek. We've got Buffy. We've got Doctor <laughs> Who today. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, If this guy turned out to be a controller, like, her jig would have been up pretty fast. Well, I just, right. I just am also, like, in general, like... Why did you thought speak to like a regular person? Yeah. Like even if they're not a controller, it just is like yeah. I don't know. It just seems like the one thing to definitely not do. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the thought speak part really did give it away. I mean, when she just smashed the cars at the car lot, uh, that that was that was one thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is different. Yeah. yeah. No, she keeps she keeps uh, playing and crossing those boundaries. I don't know. I, I feel like, I mean, again, I identify with Rachel, but I think that this was probably like he's, they're in a circus. They travel away from the city, although they don't exactly know how far the Yerks have spread. It's pretty safe to assume that anybody that's like on a national tour is probably not a controller. Yeah, I feel like. But she doesn't mention that. I, I, she lives, I think, fast and hard with her morphs. Yes. Yeah. Which is, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, she makes her definitely interesting. <laughs> also, can we talk about the dynamic here as she's uh, threatening this guy with uh, Cassie just trying to lay hands off on the situation? Uh, she's just like, I'm here, but I'm trying not to witness this. Just making sure that you'll be okay. Um, but don't tell Jake that I, you know, was a part of this. And it's like, yeah, it's funny because I feel like Rachel, I mean, Rachel and Cassie have been friends for a very long time. And it's not like Rachel's a bad person, but I feel like her two things so far are that she helped a hawk escape. And what was the, oh, and she, they stopped people from shooting at the bald eagles in book two. Well, yeah. No, that was I, everybody though. I, but I, okay. I, I definitely approve of Rachel's you know, motivations and, you know, taking people out at the knees uh, and especially defending uh, animals in this case. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, she just doesn't. It's definitely no no thought through on uh, actually uh, helping their cause uh, as animorphs and keeping their cover low. It, it's it's definitely reckless. Yeah, it's, it's reckless. But I feel like uh, what I'm saying is that like she is getting, she's like, Cassie would want me to do this kind of thing or almost using that as an excuse to do it. But it seems like like her they have similar morals, which is why it's kind of easy to see them being friends because she says later in the book that they're so different that people don't really understand how they get along. So this is why. Okay. So anyway, (laughs) so she tells the guy not to use the cattle prod anymore or anything involving pain because she'll be watching and she'll squeeze him like a tube of toothpaste <laughs> or whatever. And then she just throws him onto a nearby circus tent and then they leave. It's bad. I kind of wanted her to do it. <laughs> I was like, just do it. <laughs> just do it, Rachel. <laughs> For sure. That would have been bad, though. Been like, <laughs> she would have been a murderer. <laughs> anyway, 
the next day after school, Marco and Tobias have invited the gang to meet in the woods because they have something to tell them, but Marco's waiting until they get everybody together, which means they need to wait for Axe. Rachel's telling everybody about the escapades at the circus, but like Kate said, they don't tell everyone that Cassie was there so that Jake won't get mad at her because they like, like each other. Like, like. But I noticed how, like, this time Marco and Jake were like, yeah, we've all done that. Like, I'm kind of like, this is a bad idea and you shouldn't have done that, but not the same kind of anger as um, the previous books. Because since then, Jake and Marco have both done stupid things, like, with their morphs. So, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, I, Marco took on someone with a gun in an alley. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, that seems accurate, because they're both like, yeah, don't, you shouldn't have done that, but whatever. We're not going to also, we're also not going to stop Rachel from doing anything. <laughs> yeah, who wants to stop <laughs> Rachel? They're like, she'll kick their butt. <laughs> and let's see, Rachel notes that she's kind of tense because she prefers action more than talking about things. And she wants to get to the business part of whatever it is that Marco and Tobias have called them there for. And also reiterates again that Marco calls her Xena Warrior Princess, which gets brought up a lot. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like she, it's like, a it's definitely a guilt thing for her. Like, not that she's worried about herself liking battle too much, but she's, like, started to take on this role within the group. And it's become a responsibility for her, which we'll get to a little bit later. It's it's adding stress to her, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Instead of being a source of strength and pride, it's more like, well, they call me Xena. I have to be Xena. Like, I have to live up to their expectations. And I have to be brave. And I have to, I can't think about running away because then that's not being the Xena that my friends think I am. Don't put yourself yeah. in a box, girl. <laughs> yeah, this is very relatable, though, for teenagers, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this bo- this whole book is very teenage relatable, I felt like. So she talks about all of her friends and does the whole thing where she's like, this person's this, this person's that. And I just wanted to note that she says, Marco has changed lately, at least a little. He doesn't resist being an anamorph like he used to. I don't know why. Maybe it's because his dad finally seems to have gotten over the death of Marco's mother. I don't know. And we know it's because she's not dead. She's a yerk and he wants to save her. But that does seem like a pretty good reason as well that she came up with. Uh, what is that called? Dramatic <laughs> irony? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's dramatic irony, but it's also a fun little thing for people who are reading the books in order. Because obviously this series, like, a lot of people, the way they consumed it is reading it out of order. So, yeah. So eventually Axe shows up and he has a little funny story about how he fended off a cougar yesterday because it attacked him. And he makes sure to tell Cassie, it's okay, like, I didn't hurt the cougar, but I don't think he's going to attack me again. And it says, Axe gave his strange Andalite smile, an expression he managed even without a mouth. And I was like, I have to do that every day now. (laughs) Morgan, did you say how... Andalites consume nutrients at one point? Uh, we learned that a little bit more in the books, in the next book, which is going to be, well, in Axe's book, which is the next regular book that's coming up. Um, uh, but they eat through their hooves. Okay. You did mention so they, this. they run and they step on grass and they eat the grass. Okay, that's convenient. So seriously, but... he is a lawnmower, but... Kind. In... He's, like a, he's like a goat. Uh, I just, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking now, like, comparatively like having like a mouth on my feet just seems and, like and you're stepping gross. in yeah oh. yeah he eats a snail one time and he's like "Ooh, protein oh god like <laughs> he's that person 
So he has hooves, and underneath those hooves are some form of mouth. And is every single hoof a mouth? I think so. Oh. Jeez. So there's a lot of really weird... <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would be the front two or something, but yeah, it's... um. Because, like, he just he goes around and steps on it. And, oh, my God, what's on me? Speaking of gross things, a bug. Okay. Um, he just goes around and st- as he crushes the grass, he absorbs, like, the juice. And he'll get more into it in his book. I mean, I can't <laughs> wait for the details. But, I mean. Okay. Yeah. And it can still taste. But it's kind of like the difference between a human sense of smell and, like, a dog sense of smell. Like, he has the human sense of taste smell except that's how he tastes (laughs) like well i'm glad it's lessened at least yeah so that's why he's like oh my god tasting things (laughs) their home planet's so much i mean it's mostly grassy fields right and in nice yeah it has the alien monoculture trope which is like it's just grass and trees there's like that's it that's their planet five there's one biome yeah (laughs) Yeah, one biome monobiome planet um (laughs) I guess, yeah, They he probably doesn't have to worry about gum on the bottom of his hooves and trying to eat that, so. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I feel like the Andalites are a lot more like nature preserve, preservational than we are. But anyway, um, so after Axe talks about hunt, um, fending off the cougar, it's like Marco rolled his eyes. I'm telling you, Axe and Rachel belong together. The two of you are sick. Someday you could get married while bungee jumping into an active volcano. And then it says... I squirmed a little, not because I minded Marco thinking I was bold, but because I really was not interested in acts that way. And I was like, that's also super teenage relatable because you get people making jokes about like, ooh, you two like each other. And it's like, no, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Do not perpetuate these lies. (laughs) Yeah. I see through the lies of the Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was interesting little... uh, an interesting little characterization. So now that they're all together, Marco and Tobias reveal their information. They've found an entrance to the Yurk pool. Dun, dun, dun. Finally. <laughs> yeah, after we've been books? waiting. <laughs> yeah, I should count all the books where they go to the Yurk pool. Anyway, um, they followed... Uh, they followed Chapman, Axe and Tobias... Sorry, Marco and Tobias followed Chapman for a few days, their assistant principal... And Tobias would follow him around the air, and then Marco would follow him on foot whenever he went into buildings. And they discovered that there's an entrance to the Yurk Pool at the Gap. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so oh. people go, okay, like how how many of you had the Gap sweatshirts when you were younger? Like, because that was a thing. I did not. Oh, you did. I did not. I didn't have anything cool like. Because, I mean, we were up in adjacent towns, but my town's way less cool than your town. <laughs> so we had a JCPenney. We had a Sears. It was that kind of stuff. We didn't have anything that was even remotely cool. Like, you, you, guys, you guys had, had an mall. Express. We had a mall, but it wasn't a cool mall. We had a Claire's in there. Yeah, you yeah. guys had and... a bunch of stuff in the mall. We'd always go shopping uh, over at your town for um, <laughs> school clothes. We didn't have a Gap or an Express, no. so. I think that, that, I don't remember going to a Gap at all. Like, I was, like, mostly, like, for a long time, like, an Old Navy person. Because, like, you know, when, you're, like, your family's poor, it's like, oh, cool, Old Navy. And you're like, Gap, oh, that's so nice. Like, Banana it's a fan- That's a fancy, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, at, like, 16, I went from, like, Old Navy to, like, Saks. So it was like a total one, one. I just skipped the gap phase, but 
Yeah, I always imagined their mall as like a cross between one of those really big LA malls and the mall in my town, which was fairly small as far as malls go. (laughs) I'm rhyming a lot today. But (laughs) yeah, I just have a very specific, I have a weird specific image of their mall in particular because they have a food court, I think. I loved going to the mall as a teenager. It was so fun. Yeah. I mean, I just basically went to Claire's. There was a board game shop and then the like B. Dalton's and Walden books. That's where I got most of my Animorphs books. Ours is really cool because it had a Red Robin and then it had a bowling alley. And then it had one of those pet stores that like they had all the puppies that, like in the giant wall. And then you could like play with them. You could play with them. Mm hmm. And so that was, that was really cool. And then they had a holster and they would bring models out for the holidays. So that was nice. Of course. Yeah, you got to go as a teenager, get a fucking picture with the Abercrombie and Fitch model. Oh, d- if you have not done that, you do not live in California. I, I was next level. Like, I, I think it was my first Christmas back from college and I had gotten mono. It was like the mm-hmm. day after I got diagnosed and my parents um, went out of town for uh like holiday and then i was like i heard i heard that's what they were doing my friend told me i was like i don't care how sick i am i'm going to the mall to get my picture (laughs) and i got did not age well i got there and uh the girl was like you want a picture with me i was like i'm not here for you i was like i want a picture picture with him and they were surprised and i was like (laughs) this is haven't you heard of gays before get out of my way So I got my picture. Um, it was really nice for me. I, I think she felt a little like awkward about it, but it was great. And then I left and passed so out. <laughs> Jason, you're my hero. To be fair, That's I was great. dressed very like it was just like je- like great jeans, great jeans, and a really great sweater that I miss. But so I was like pretty like plain, but <clears throat> you were like, uh, it's my my simple yet elegant outfit. that's my little fun story for us today (laughs) uh well this york entrance people go into the dressing room and exit through the movie theater so when the movie gets out more people come out than than went in and at first axe is like let's go attack the york pool and everybody's like um no like (laughs) it's huge there's a lot of hork down there no and everybody else is like sick like they're so terrified and so they talk about like okay well if we don't go down there like okay the condrona is their weak spot and axe describes it as a miniature version of the yurk's home sun it emits condrona rays which concentrate in the yurk pools it is what nourishes the yurks that is why the yurks must swim in their natural state in the yurk pool every three days they need the condrona rays and so he also mentions that the Condrona machine, like the mechanism itself, should be between the size of Cassie's barn and a car. And if they destroy it, they won't be able to shuttle everyone back and forth to the Yerk pool every, or the, the mothership every three days, so some Yerks will die. And so they plan to scope out the Yerk pool and hopefully find out where the Condrona is so that they can destroy it. So they don't really have a plan. They don't really make a plan on screen. It just cuts to now Rachel going home. I mean, thank goodness. It took him this long to finally go back to the York pool. To go back and say, oh yeah, this one thing could blow up essentially the Death Star. (laughs) Yeah. Help me, Jake. You're our only hope. (laughs) Um, I feel like, yeah, they could have been doing this like a long 
long time ago. Book two would have been a hell of a lot more interesting. <laughs> well, they were trying to figure out where the Yerk pool was a little bit when they were spying on Chapman. And then they had to deal with the pool ship. And then they had to find Axe. And then, like, it was just a bunch of stuff kept coming up. Yeah, find Axe. Marco's mom. Yeah, they do note that, or Rachel realizes that it was... Like, Marco and Tobias just did it by themselves because Jake has just gone through something really serious where he, they had to have the Yerks, starve the Yerk out of him, so. Also still seems like an effective method to take out some controllers. Kidnapping. Just kidnap them. Yeah. (laughs) Especially since they can't morph. Yeah. So, elephant, uh, Rachel as an elephant can go throwing people around. Uh, why not? Yeah, just kidnap some actual controllers and starve the. This is my new '90s board game. You are an elephant, and you have to pick up people and throw them into a pen. Actually, (laughs) yes. Just honestly, knock people out in the middle of the night and just take them to that cabin in the woods or that shack in the woods. Tie them there. Leave leave them maybe with a little bit of water, a spritzer, a mister. And then just sort of come back. <laughs> or one of those hamster uh, water dispensers. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, oh. They can each have a, um, uh, like, one of those hats that holds, like, uh, beer or, I guess, soda <laughs> at the top of it. <laughs> just put it on their head and be like, this is Soylent. Drink it to live. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then leave them there for four days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't even have to figure out that you're, they don't have to find out that you're not Andalites, even when they're not like human anymore except the thing is that they're either going to get recaptured or they have to go into hiding or they are going to get killed so that's they're trying to avoid human casualties yeah they're in a situation they really can't build up their own like rebel counter army because as soon as they're captured the yurks know everything that person knows yeah yeah plus they can't give people the morphing power Uh (laughs) anyway So Rachel goes home, and when she walks in the door, her mom is sitting at the kitchen table, eating some Doritos, and staring into space. So Rachel's like, uh, hi, what's for dinner? Doritos. And Doritos. Yeah, Doritos, clearly. And so her mom says, your father's coming over tonight for dinner. He said he would pick something up. And the narration says, I felt my stomach clench. Something was wrong. My dad doesn't really come over for dinner after the divorce. Like, it's not really a thing that we do. So Rachel starts to demand, like, what's going on? Just tell me. And her dad knocks on the door with Thai food, and the sisters run down the stairs and are so excited. And um, by the way, her mom is Naomi, and her dad is named Dan, because they greet each other like, Naomi, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Very divorced parents. Um, And right away, her dad's being super cheery, and she's like, this isn't right. Something's wrong. He's being too happy and and chipper and trying to, like, avoid telling me something. So... They struggle through, and Jordan knows something's up too, which is another note. Um, (laughs) So they struggle through an awkward dinner until finally her dad is like, I have something to announce and says, I got a new job. Um, So he's currently like the weekend news anchor in their town. And and like he goes out in the field and he got offered a job where he's going to be the main anchor. He's going to do the six o'clock and 11 o'clock news. Oh my God. He's Veronica Corningstone. (laughs) unfortunately it's in another state and it's a thousand miles away and i assume my guess is that it's denver because they also mention how like oh there's great hiking there there's some serious mountains and it's a thousand miles away from california so 
That's my that's my guess. It does Texas. sound like they were describing Denver. Uh, sorry, what were you saying, Jason? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. I was just, I was like, how far away is Texas? I'm just like, it's. I, we know this is by an ocean, so I'm just like, it's like. Yeah, it could be like Austin or or something in the on the east coast of Texas. I think I don't know where things are. Middle, you guys. Uh, Colorado is one of the square ones. Hey. It's like really square. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a square. <laughs> Well, we can safely say uh, you're not a teacher of geography, Morgan. <laughs> no, I am not. That's my friend. Um, I feel like he went from like a pretty big, not like a big city, but like a mid-sized city or like a bigger city, um, like weekend anchor to now he's going to like maybe a smaller city, big time anchor. I don't know. I don't know. But so he announces like he's got to move and Rachel's very upset. She tries to hide it and be like, congratulations, this is what you've wanted. But they know that she's upset. And so she gets up from the table and it says, I didn't slam any doors. I didn't throw anything. I just left. Let him feel what it's like. I told myself, let him feel what it's like to have someone just walk away. That was an and I was ace, like, ace teenage woof. move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wrote, woof, teenaged him, right? Being a teenager <laughs> sucks. Yeah, that felt very much like I am powerless in this situation, and so I'm going to do the only thing that I can, which is, like, leave. Make your life, yeah, make you feel the hell that I feel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by silent treatment. So she goes into her room and closes the door, and she's, like, really pissed. And she's, like, shaking, and her dad knocks on the door and asks to come in, and is, like hinting at something and she's like what are you talking about and he's like see rachel you didn't let me finish what i had to tell you downstairs rachel jordan and sarah are still too young to consider this but you're older you can look after yourself when i have to work late and they can't and anyway look the thing is i've talked to your mother about this and she's not happy about it but she says it's up to you and she's like what are you talking about and he's like, well, Carla Belnikoff teaches in the city I'm moving to. You know, she takes in three or four promising gymnastics students every year. If you wanted, well, it would be the best thing in the world as far as I'm concerned if you came to live with me. Which is a shitty thing to do to your child. I'm going to go ahead and say that take. This is shitty for him to do. I don't know. Thoughts? I mean, he's sort of bribing her with gymnastics, but isn't she already too tall to be like an Olympic gymnast? And then mm -hmm. also it's, I mean, it's hard, you know, when a kid gets that old, sort of like she's got her friends, she's got like her family, like, you know, it's here, like, you know, there's all these different sort of supports and it's like, come move with me. And, you know, but you'd be the only one because you can take care of yourself because I'll be working late. So you're going to be alone, but we'll be together <laughs> somehow. Yeah, and she's like, I get the feeling like he's not he's not trying to do this out of like any sort of malice. He just he's moving to a new city and he thinks he's going to be lonely, so he wants someone to come with him. Again, you're an adult and she is a child, and I get that you want to be with her cuz she is your child, but you can't do this to her. Get a dog. Be like, "Oh, it's your decision." Yeah, get a freaking dog. Use that know. to meet people. <laughs> it's 1996 <laughs> go to a bar <laughs> yeah it is yeah. do you think it's also like the fact that he doesn't ask or, or, or the, the two younger daughters that they they can't go with him or or they there's not not even a, a talk or a choice of them not going it, it just to just single out one child amongst the others yeah, and there's a little it's... bit I'll get to in a minute that kind of makes it seem like she's definitely, like, the favorite but, of him, at least. But, like, I mean, it's still just, like, 
he he only picked her really because maybe she's her favorite, but it's like she's old enough to take care of herself. He's not planning, I think, on being like a like a fully committed parent. You know, like yeah. you can be a fully committed parent and still work, but it's like again, like his his motivations or his reasons are just less than um, commendable. It's more just like yeah, he definitely strikes me as the parent who always wanted to be the fun parent, and Naomi has to be like the hard parent, you know, and he's always like yeah, let's have fun and we're doing the fun stuff. And he's like, yeah, we're going to move and it's it's fun. Whereas, and he seems very charismatic and like he definitely is a dad who really has hit the heart of his child. Like very, she idolizes him and he puts in some work. <laughs> but now that he's moving away, he he's not, he's not a give and take kind of person. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, they do mention yeah. though that she does see him, what was it, every other weekend or every weekend uh, he yeah, comes so by? Yeah, so they stay over at his house every other weekend and then they do, or once, no, sorry, they stay at his house once a month and then every other weekend they do an outing. That was so it. So it seems like they stay with him, they're with him like three weekends out of the four, it seems like. Except the weekends Rachel goes up to the mountains and turns into a fish and gets sucked up by a spaceship. Except those ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those ones, she's with her mom. Um, But anyway, I don't like this. She says, I'm going to think it over. And he says, okay, I'm going to go now. And she's like, okay, dad. And he says, I love you, Rachel. And the narration says, I wish he hadn't said that. I was doing fine until he said that. And then the tears started. And it's like, that's, that's me too. I will be angry and like very like hardened until someone shows me a small ounce of kindness or mostly in like a movie someone shows a small ounce of kindness and then i'm like (laughs) bawling (laughs) i know for me because you brought up the movie things another tangent Mm -hmm. is that like um for some reason like family especially like parent stuff in movies always makes me like cry like it's like guaranteed so disney and pixar i like always cry like every single movie i'm just like oh disney yeah acts as every single parent oh my gosh that's, that's why like... you're crying and that's like the one that's alive there's a really nice meaningful thing at the end and you're just like oh my god i can't yeah. it's so touchy you should watch reservation dogs the most oh, recent episode good. had this had this episode it was very much like that that very famous episode of fresh prince um yeah speaking of parent stuff like like it was it was tough um good yeah. show taika watiti i don't i not also kind of producing. i'm sort of related to this a little bit or i guess i have not similar experience my brother probably has a more similar experience but um so my parents were divorced too and then when i was 10 my parents uh my mom and my stepdad moved down to san diego and we were previously in the bay area so not a thousand miles away but you know like 600 something pretty far majority distance of california yeah and so me i was 10 i was sort of like you know whatever but my brother was like fully 15 so he you know he had to like completely choose start over to yeah. yeah but that's a little aside let's get back on track <laughs> <laughs> all right a lot of parent feelings <laughs> So the dad leaves, she turns into a great horned owl, which I noted tells us because there was an owl in the last book um, when Jake was a controller and he didn't know who it was and it was Rachel. Um, And I think Cassie also has the great horned owl morph at this point. But anyway, um, so she's flying around and it's very like reflection. 
She's thinking about her relationship with her dad and if she should leave her friends, which means leaving the battle with the Yerks. And she's always been really close to her dad. So she has this, she talks about this moment when her mom was pregnant with Sarah um, and Rachel overheard her parents talking and her mom's like, I know you've always wanted a boy. And he says, oh, come on, that was years ago. I thought I had to have a boy to do all the fun dad stuff with, but I have Rachel. She's as good as any boy. She's already tougher than most boys her age. Have you seen the vaults she can do? My mom groaned. Don't ever let her hear you say that. Little girls do not want to be told they are as good as a boy. But she was wrong. I knew that it was sexist and all, but I still just thought it was great. My dad thought I was as tough as any boy. Cool. Yeah, I like, I'm like, this is just reeking to me. I was like, uh... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I mean, it seems good that that he seems to be getting over his sexism. It's like, she's as good as any boy, though. Like, but he does say, I thought I had to have a boy, but I realized I was wrong, I think is the takeaway there. <laughs> Instead of the, she's just as good as a boy, even though she <laughs> doesn't have a penis. Because it's an uphill battle, <laughs> apparently. For a while. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's meant to be, like, nice. But I also add how she's, like, like how she adds, I know it was sexist and all. Um, so that's nice. And she also just values being tough. Like, that's part of what she likes about herself, so. She also has a little, like, moment as the owl. She's like, I could just swoop down, pick a rat or a rabbit, and, like, squeeze on its head until it bursts. And I'm just like, okay. She's, <laughs> oh, God. She's definitely a teenager. <laughs> she's like. <laughs> contemplating <laughs> yeah but then she's like i don't have to kill anyway so she's tempted to say yes to her dad but she feels guilty that would mean running away from the fight um so she goes and she finds herself flying to tobias's meadow so she like lands near him and scares the ever-loving shit out of him because she's a fucking <laughs> owl and it's nighttime and he's like owls are scary <laughs> she does that a lot she like in the middle of the night just like tobias a whole rant boo oh my god he asks her what's wrong because she's like out in the middle of the night and she says she's just thinking about having to go to the yerk pool again and she's like i was thinking about acquiring some firepower like maybe a lion or a bear do you want to go to the gardens with me and get it and he's like uh no that's a trek because it's nighttime and i'm not a night bird and then he's like okay you want to tell me what's really bothering you because you're acting weird and because he knows her so well and she's like yeah, look, I have a question for you. Do you ever think about years from now, like when it's time for college and stuff? And then she's like, ooh, shouldn't have asked Tobias about that because yeah. he's a bird now. Yeah. Uh, whoops. <laughs> and she, she's like, but Tobias was cool. He just laughed silently. Yeah, I'm thinking I could get easy A's in ornithology, the study of birds. <laughs> and so, yeah. He, he's like, I guess I really haven't thought that far ahead. I guess I figured this whole thing will sort itself out one way or the other long before then. The Yerks win and you don't have to worry about college. Or they lose and we go back to our normal lives. Some of us more normal than others. That's and okay. she's like, shit, why did I bring this up to Tobias? That was so, so, like, uncaring, th thoughtless of me to do that because it's Tobias. And so she starts, then has this, like, moment of resolve where she's like, I can't. What am I doing? I can't do this. I can't leave my friends. And he's like, Rachel, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, never better. Okay, bye. And he's like, go home. And she's like, okay, I'll go home. But then she thinks she's pretty much just going to sit there in bed, sit there in bed um, 
lying awake staring at the ceiling. So she's like, well, I'm going to go to the gardens. So she turns and starts going to the gardens, finds the grizzly bears and acquires the male grizzly bear because he's bigger and starts, she's thinking about stuff and it's starting to feel very overwhelming. And she's upset that she has to make so many decisions. And I'm like, wait 24 hours, boo. Yeah, she... Uh, her decision making is gonna definitely amp itself up uh, tenfold. Yeah. So the next day, they go to the mall. They all go separately and pretend to meet up by coincidence. Oh, well, Rachel hi runs there. into Cassie. Yeah, and is like, "Oh, fancy seeing you here." And is like, oh, "Yeah, whatever." Yeah. And. So Cassie's like, I saw Jake and Axe playing video games downstairs. Axe tried to eat a cigarette butt out of the oh. ashtray. And I'm like, what kind of mall in the 90s has a cigarette, has an ashtray? But whatever. <laughs> Maybe outside. <laughs> oh. So Cassie and Rachel head to the Gap. And they're going to go to the, you know, dressing room. So they have to get some clothes. Cassie's like, I don't, I don't shop. And uh, Rachel grabs a sweater for her. And Cassie's like, like I would ever wear that. It says dry clean only. <laughs> So they go into the um, dressing room and they morph Roach and then Marco comes in and morphs Roach and then Axe comes in and morphs Roach and then Jake comes in and grabs all their clothes, puts it in a bag and takes it to a coin locker, which I'm like, that seems like a long time to do that for some clothes. Like, I thought it was better forethought than before. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, it, it was progress progress yeah and and when they all get morphed axe says it's been 15 minutes so i guess it's not that bad but that's still like a long a long time run jake run um yeah so they all go together in a gross parade of roaches to the dressing room that's the entrance to the york pool then they wait and a controller comes really quickly and opens up the door to the york pool and it's showtime they start heading down the ramp to the york pool Yes, they do. And thankfully, the controller does not notice them as uh, that controller, human controller, enters uh, through the the mirror door down into uh, the corridor leading to the York Pool. So they march along uh, down this uh, corridor and they're climbing in and out of footprints on the dirt floor as their cockroach morph. So they let the controller get ahead of them. And they could unnotice. Axe informs them that Cassie and Rachel have been in morph for 28 of their minutes so far, meaning Earth minutes. And Marco jokes to Axe that since he's on Earth now, that they are his minutes too. And this turns into like an ongoing theme in this book of funny Marco Axe back and forth. But Morgan, it begs the question, do we like get into the lore on how Andalites can actually calculate time so accurately? Nope, it is just a MacGuffin. Not oh. a MacGuffin, that's not the right word. It's just a, um, it's just a plot convenience, like pretty much. I would assume they probably have different metrics to calculate their time on their own world though like originally yeah i think he's just because it it's funny because when they first see him he's like we've used up 28 percent of the time or whatever some it, he'll phrase it like that oh. but now he says 38 of your minutes or whatever so he has learned what a minute what an hour is yeah he he learned units uh uh of measurement so far on his experience on earth that's just, yeah, I was curious on what it originally was in his world. So, yeah, I think it's just like a sixth sense. All right. Uh, as they are roaches they cannot see per se but they sense the world around them so they really couldn't see the vastness of the large cavern that held the yerk pool but they knew it was there 
So Rachel describes it as uh, a large sports dome, basically from memory, uh, with walls going down to where the lake-sized yerk pool formed at the base. Some, uh, there's the same deal as last time. There were two docks uh, on the on the pool on the lake, one for controllers to kneel over and let the yerk. I'm sorry, the the sound you're hearing is my dog drinking water again. The <laughs> <laughs> two dogs he needs to drink people. Yes, yes, he's a very thirsty puppy. There were two docks uh, on the pool. One uh, was for the controllers to kneel over and let the yurks uh, out of their head, and the other dock is for them to be reinfested by the yurk again. Cages along the side of the lake held humans and hork hosts that did not voluntarily elect to be infested by yurk, and most of them are crying or screaming for their release uh, in these cages. The other hosts that were voluntarily um, hosts walk around all casual like uh past all the chaos horror the kids all know this scene too well because it was described in the first book but they couldn't see it entirely so axe is like thought speaking to them like i wish i could see what was going on i don't quite understand what's going on and rachel's like no you really really don't want to see this yeah, it's fun. It's cool. Not cool. It's interesting how um, Axe's character starts out like super gung ho. And even though they haven't been doing this that long, they're still like, no, we've we know what's up. Like, they're just slowly kind of pecking away at that. Because at the very beginning, he's like, I'm gonna kill Vizard 3 and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, you're not, dude. He's gonna turn into a giant lava monster and fucking melt you. <laughs> so what? Yeah. There's a lava monster coming up? No, just whatever monster. Oh, okay. I was, I was... <laughs> because he, he's, he's fun and exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I wonder how you would, um, how could you even acquire a lava monster? Because it oh. would burn you. But I'm just thinking of the giant Titan from Disney's Hercules. But lava can, <laughs> yeah. lava can cool, you know, so maybe it's, you know. That's true. <laughs> While he's sleeping. <laughs> Okay, yeah. they, they decide once reaching the floor level of the cavern to go search for Kendrona, uh, the Kendrona in the surrounding buildings uh, connecting to the cavern. They assume they, the buildings like held offices were used for storage or possibly might house the Kendrona. So since they can't really see, Cassie said they can smell their way to these rooms. And since there are human voluntary hosts around, they actually start smelling food down the halls like french fries. Mm. So they go to investigate the smell and wedge under a doorway. And as cockroaches, they see that they're on a little... Oh my god, I this could be fun. Linoleum floor? How do you... I can't ever say that word. Linoleum. L- what? <laughs> Linoleum. I'm going to take what you guys said. Like my nose. And <laughs> just snip it. Snip me saying linoleum and then put it in. Where you yeah. <laughs> your little, sentences. Yeah. I'll get a no. clean one. Linoleum. Uh, l- l- no. no. <laughs> <laughs> they smell the food and uh, they feel the vibrations of humans and they assume they're in a break room or lunchroom of some kind. So side note here, Axe says that humans smell like an animal back on his home planet called a flare. Does this come up again? (laughs) Nope. Oh. (laughs) I want to make so many office space jokes right now. (laughs) Just as they were getting their bearings, and that was pun intended because this is the grizzly bear book, a shadow came over them and they registered uh, like a trunk next to them and 
they figured out, oh my gosh, that's like a taxon leg. And a red whip lashes down and snags them all up, raising them upward. And they realize they were stuck to a taxon's tongue. So, And they were going to die. When I read this, I was like, oh, that's like a neat bug catching tool. Like an actual sticky red whip. (laughs) (laughs) Turning them into a disgusting ass nerd's rope. A roach motel on wheels. And (laughs) from there, everything stopped. The taxon tongue stopped moving. There was nothing, no sounds or movement. Rachel and the others start to demorph. Soon they were barefoot and dressed in their skin-tight clothing, in axe uh, in his andalite form, and they were in the Yurk host uh, lunchroom. Oh, and they didn't demorph on purpose. Someone demorphed them. Oh, thanks for clarifying. All the hosts in the room were frozen in various actions of eating and drinking. No one was moving. No one was even breathing. There were even Hork Bajir frozen right next to them, next to the taxon. The kids took the opportunity, even if they had no idea what was going on, and they were getting out of there. So they escaped back into the cavern where everything was still frozen. The Yurks were all in the pool, but the lake was still. All prisoner hosts in their cages were frozen in silent screams. The only one thing that actually did move was a boy, and he walked towards them, and he had tussled, uncombed hair. It was Tobias, and he had his own body back. So Rachel runs to him, startling him, and he actually tried to flap away, and she embraced him tightly in a hug. (laughs) I know. He's like, ah. I've had those moments. And it's so sweet how she runs to him, you know? Yeah. Like, she... She she had to touch him to see that he was real, and I was Immediately. like, "Immediately, so yeah, just knee jerk reaction. Gotta gotta go hug hug the bird uh, that is now a boy again." <laughs> she asked him how how this happened. Tobias said he did not know he was flying, and then suddenly he was there with them as a human. So he was flying outside because he couldn't actually come into the cavern with them for this expedition. Axe said. Time has stopped for all except them. This wasn't Yurk or Andalite tech that can do this. Something else entirely. And a voice. A voice spoke to them. What? Humility from an Andalite? Said the voice. It came from everywhere at once, like an idea just popping into their heads. Rachel was instantly ready to fight. They were all startled and looked at Axe. He guessed what it was. An Elemis. Do not be afraid. I will appear in physical form so you can understand. So the voice said. The Elemis thing, it took me a while and my brain, I just kept saying like elementalist or like, ele- like the word, I was like, there, there's another word. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> yeah, like oh, elemental. Appearing out of thin air, a humanoid figure came into being, glowing blue, looking sort of like an old man, but radiating energy with eyes of black holes full of stars. Axe was shaking to his core, seeing the Elemist. So is the El- so we talked about this. Elemist is definitely like Q from Next Gen, right? Yeah. Okay. Be at peace, Andalite, the Elemist said. Look at your human friends. They do not fear me. They do not know what you are, Axe managed to say. The Elemist smiled. Neither do you. All you know are the fairy stories you people tell your children. They're fairies on the Andalite home planet, Morgan. <laughs> well, he means like a fairy tale. Yeah, in but, the like, the concept, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, the concept is a very, obviously, cultural... He means more like a legend or a myth. I know, but, but I use the word so similar. <laughs> I, mean, I want knows. space fairies, okay? <laughs> I, mean, so I want fairies that can go between different worlds. It sounds so much cooler. I mean, uh, hang on, I'm trying to hear, roll through my 
Animorphs Rolodex and see if there's space fairies? Um, kinda. (laughs) (laughs) For those following along at home, book 23? Anybody? (laughs) No? Okay. (laughs) They're just rude fairies. Anyway. Okay. Like rude or like sassy? Rude. Are we talking? Yeah. Tinkerbell type of sass or... um... It's the tribble. It's the tribbles. They have their tribbles. Oh, okay, that's okay. Fair. So if we're going for the Star Trek analogy, <laughs> <laughs> Rachel has a good uh, self-identifying moment in this situation. To be honest, I was scared, and when I'm scared, I get mad. The LMS looked at me. <laughs> you cannot begin to understand what I am. They are all powerful. Axe said simply, "They can cross." Bitch, and- don't tell me what I can and can't understand. <laughs> <laughs> They're all powerful, Axe said to Rachel. They can cross a million light years in a single instant. They can make entire worlds disappear. They stopped itself. This one doesn't look all that powerful, Marco said skeptically. Don't be a fool, Axe snapped. That's not his body. He has no body. He is everywhere at once. Inside your head, inside this planet, inside the fabric of space and time. They ask uh, the Elemist why he is here. Because you must decide, the Elemist said. Decide what, I demand. The fate of your race, still in the fate of the humans. Is that all? Marco asked. Just the fate of the human race? Don't you have something more challenging for us? But the Elemis wasn't paying attention to Marco. We do not interfere with the private affairs of other beings, he said. We are in danger, but when they are in danger of coming extinct, step in to save a few members. We love life, all life, but especially sentient life forms. Then the Elemist opened up space and they were underwater. They could breathe for some reason, and they were dry but suspended in the water. They were in a coral reef, fish, rays, dolphins, sharks, all sorts of animal life swimming around them amongst the colorful coral. Then the Elemis whirled them into the African savanna, with lions napping in the sunshine, wilded gazelles and zebras grazing, elephants and giraffes slumbered along. Then suddenly they were in a dense jungle with jaguar, monkeys, snakes, frogs, birds, and many, many flowers. In all the universe, no greater beauty in a thousand thousand worlds, no greater art than this, said the Elemis. Then they flew over New York City. I just imagine this whole sequence as a soaring over California and California Adventure, like, yeah. has a lot of the same vi- epic journey vibes. Oh, very much so. Yes. And spraying the orange mist smell in your face. Yeah. <laughs> then they flew over New York City by villages on jungle rivers, watched a rock concert in Rio de Janeiro, flew through Seoul. The Elemis said humans are crude but capable of understanding. And then they were back at the York Pool and all of its frozen terror. The Elemis said that humans are now an endangered species. The Yerks are technologically more powerful and will continue to infest and take over the human race and earth. Andalites will try to stop them but fail and the Yerks will win. Meanwhile, one, sorry, meaning one thing, the Animorphs are condemned to lose. Dun, dun, dun. Well, so, yeah. I was, sorry, like, damn, (laughs) the Andalites are definitely going to lose, which is sort of like a, I don't know, that was like their one hope to, (laughs) you're like, we're waiting for them to get here. And they do presumably get there and then they lose. Yeah. Yeah. I am because, well, maybe I'll get to this at the end, but I feel like it's like fully a trickster thing that he's doing here. But definitely they're immediately like, we don't trust you. It's funny how they're like, well, 
who the fuck are you? Like, our our Andalite friend doesn't like you. Mm -hmm. You seem very, like, untrustworthy. And what are you, like, where's your evidence of this? Because Marco's like, clearly if you could see the future, you wouldn't even be here because you would know that we're going to vote no. So. You're bullshit. You're a crazy high time wizard. Yeah. So the thing is, is this definitely seems full of holes because how sentient is Thelemis? Like it, it, you just said, if he knew what was going to happen, why even bother to come into this point right now to try to, you know, change anything? So it doesn't seem like time is fixed in this storyline. I feel like they bring that up later and it's like they also bring in the fact like what are the Elemis like true intentions and like mm-hmm. it's it, it's like uh like 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 you said time's not fixed like they seem to be like time wizards and space wizards but like yeah they seem like time still, lords essentially yeah but there's still at least like one limit like there's still like some natural like laws that they can't completely there's clearly some limitations yeah as to what's going on because it's not just like i'm gonna take you and put you in a zoo you know he asks them they don't seem omnipotent let's say that they seem like they can go through space and time but he doesn't seem to know everything also morgan are there female elements or are (laughs) why why is i mean like he's he's gendered as a he but uh i was just curious i i had i had assumed when it was first introduced that it it might just be a cosmic being yeah so there's a book um that's later very later in the series called the elemist chronicles which we'll read when we get like into the 40s of the regular series so we will find out the past of the elemist and like his whole deal and their self-imposed rules on what they can and can't do yeah yeah i will say no more because that's like a it comes up later okay Okay. (laughs) all right all right so we just briefly touched on this so they they ask uh, him what's the point of coming now to tell them they will inevitably lose against the yurks the elements say says that they have a world set aside as a sanctuary very much like earth for them and other humans like some other humans like their families he said they wanted to get a good genetic sampling to <laughs> save essentially some of the human race so that they could live a uh, live on along with some other choice non-human species that the Elemis prefers. Visor 3's tigers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Also, if he's been watching fucking Earth, does he know how biomes work? <laughs> and, like, you're gonna need uh, more than just, like, if you're gonna support certain species, you need, obviously, all you sorts know, of other life to make that work and survive. I don't know if that would be a problem for him, but... He's always like, like, Earth is so beautiful, a work of art. And then it's like, we're going to take you to a planet very much like Earth. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it's like not that special. Yeah, and also like, hey, um, so this is 1996, but we already know about this thing called climate change. Could you maybe help us with that? Like, <laughs> could you destroy capitalism? Because that's going to do a heck of a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> Than putting some humans in a zoo on a different planet. I mean, I, I guess the Yerks have a plan for it. I guess in this one, he's acting more like a Tralfamadorian from Slaughterhouse-Five. Or he's like, I see time, and also, I'm gonna put humans in a zoo. <laughs> he reminded me a little bit of the Collector, Marvel, Marvel yeah. style. Or yeah. that Futurama episode where they get, like, a really good deal on, like, some, uh, cool vacation and it's just a zoo for the planet of the apes to watch humans 
have sex. <laughs> yeah, the there's a lot of Futurama crossover because Futurama takes also a lot of its inspiration from Star Trek. So, yeah. The kids anyway. Ag- yeah, the the kids agree uh, that this sounds like a zoo, and the LMS sounds like a conservationist or an environmentalist trying to save uh, a species. He said that they would that they the elemists would not impose their will on other sentient species. So it's the kids' decision to stay and fight the battle they will lose against the Yerks or form a new colony of humans safely elsewhere. And they have to decide right now. They made the word environmentalist seem so dirty. Like when I was reading it, not like dirty. Yeah, it's the nineties, baby. But but in like a (laughs) he's an environmentalist, and I was like, but like. For real. <laughs> we need <laughs> Not that much, because again, climate change. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. If they choose, yes, uh, they and their families will be taken to the new planet immediately. If they choose to stay in the fight, uh, the Elemis will unfreeze everything as it was, meaning they would be back in the taxon's mouth about to be swallowed. The Elemis said And cannot... Tobias would be a And hawk Tobias again. would be a hawk again. That just seems unfair. Yeah. It seems like he should do something about that. (laughs) Like, you could at least do that. That would be helpful. Thank you. True. uh, He says he cannot make it any other way. Uh, They, as elemists, must not interfere. It seems like a little bull than what he's doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) We can't interfere except the times that we do interfere. except when I choose to do it. Uh, Elemis are not interested in what is fair. Axe said, Elemis give you a choice that is no choice at all. They can claim they do not interfere. They will pretend human decision. So Tobias, Rachel, Jake, and Marco vote no. In terms of they stay and continue to fight the Yerks, Cassie is leaning towards yes for the sake of the human race surviving. Axe votes with Jake, uh, sorry, it's Prince Jake, and states he <laughs> will fight the Yerks and doesn't trust the Elemis. As they deliberate, Marco, Jake, and Rachel notice a column rising up to the roof of the cavern. It was like a drop shaft elevator, like the one that they had seen and used on the Yerk spaceship, Brook 5, y'all, where you float up or down to get to which floor you needed. And the human that was frozen in the shaft uh, looked like she was actually floating upward. Cassie reasons that they were like scared injured animals, uh, like humans were scared injured animals and just like she took care of the uh took care of um injured animals all the time and even gotten bitten and scratched and you know retaliated against when she does take care of animals it's similar to what the elemist is doing now and trying to help them for the greater good and and for their greater good um but ultimately since everybody's voting now she changes her vote and votes with them Jake points out to the Elemis that he doesn't believe he can tell the future. If the Elemis could, he would know how they would have all voted and wouldn't have bothered to interrupt them anyway. So as they all agreed to stay, everything snapped back to the way it was. And they were back in the roach morphs on the tongue of a taxon about to be eaten. The Elemis stated to them all in his uh, projecting voice, if you live, I will ask once more. Actually, it's not really projecting voice. He's like projecting thoughts inside of their heads. Yeah, and and the Elemist speech, by the way, is like a different font. So it's not in the thought speak brackets or or quotation marks. It's like its own separate font. Yeah, and in all caps and everything. Yeah, grammar and font nerd over here. (laughs) 
Jake yells at them to morph as they are being swallowed inside the taxon. They jam into each other as they're demorphing, and Axe uses his tail to spear open the taxon from the inside. Uh, Hercules, anyone? And they all <laughs> explode out of the alien. They were still demorphing as the host controllers stared at them in the lunchroom. The Animorphs took that opportunity and bolted, and just uh, as the human host and the hork got control of themselves and started to go after him, they headed towards the drop shaft uh, in the cavern. Jake yells uh, at them to morph again, except Axe, they need fighting power. Rachel immediately gets hit down by a large uh, controller, human, uh, a man, and that guy starts to try to choke her out. Axe's tail slices, and then the man only has one hand, and she escapes. It was her and Axe getting surrounded by the other controllers. The others had reached the drop shaft. The controllers were aiming towards Axe because he was obviously an Andalite. <clears throat> so at this point, apparently the kids were still indistinguishable due to being covered in taxon goo and innards, Morgan. That's yeah, I... I don't know how, like, like clearly they're just covered in viscera. And so you can't, they, it's really hard to identify who they are. Obviously, you can see that they're humans, though. Yeah. And I don't know how she managed to uh, to morph into a bear without them being like, oh, that human just morphed directly into a bear. Yeah, there, there's some definite gloss over points uh, right here during the continuity of this fight. Maybe nobody survived to tell of it. <laughs> yeah, I totally felt like, yeah. oh, Wizard 3 is going to figure out they're humans now. Like, <laughs> oh, out of curiosity... Can Yurks, when they're, like, in the Yurk pool in their slug form, can they have senses and see? Or do they have, like, eyeballs at all? Or is it only when they're um, inside uh, other hosts that they can have full faculties like that? Only when they have hosts. They have a rudimentary, like, they communicate through electrical impulses. Oh, okay. And that's about it. And and they have uh, sonar. Okay. But that only works within the pool, not outside. Oh, okay. Cool. Axe starts getting cut up by hork and Rachel morphs into pure grizzly dominance. She feels fearless. She lets the animal's instincts take over, and she just starts attacking. A hork slices Rachel. She goes berserk and cuts him down. She rips. She crushes. Jake and his tiger morph turn back to help them, and he helps uh, get Axe and Rachel to the drop shaft. Jake shouts at Rachel uh, that she needs to morph out. She needs to morph out. She's, like, not control of her faculties at all. She was out of control as the bear, and she realized she was trying to swipe at anything, including the tiger and the drop shaft. And as they uh, as they surface, Rachel comes to her senses. And this seems like a really good point for us to uh, take a break and stop, and we'll continue on with our summary here next week. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Like we said, <laughs> like we said last week, we are going to break each book up into two because we're going into so much detail. You can't get this much detail in just any Animorphs podcast. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to come here. So we're gonna break each book up into two. That means you get one episode a week, and it will be great and awesome, and everybody will love it, and no one will complain to me at Morgan underscore Slay on Twitter. <laughs> 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 just point them at the bottom of Prime's Twitter and they'll be like, why hasn't anybody gotten back to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's just crickets over here. <laughs> I'm our HR. Send them my way. <laughs> uh, oh. 
Anyway, um, yeah, Jason, you you said your handle, but where can people find you more specifically on Twitter? Uh, <laughs> Bottomus underscore prime. <laughs> I just put out a really funny tweet about eating popcorn with ketchup. So, you know, you can check out what kind of a monster I am. (laughs) Come cancel him. (laughs) Come for me. I dare you. (laughs) And Kate, where can people find you? You can email us at middlemore oh my god morgan i can't even remember our freaking email <laughs> uh our email is at middlemorph at gmail.com we'll just leave it there because i can't spell the word millennial <laughs> and i don't know why i, I agree to this i cannot be helped in getting on social media so yes email us if you have comments or or want to want to communicate anything on how the show's going or if you want to order um some morphed pictures of yourself yes <laughs> yeah pick an animal <laughs> um and we take down deposits no refunds um send your credit card information <laughs> <laughs> all right jason you're back on the team <laughs> <laughs> I'll, you I'll be i'll be whatever we need to be i'll don't make for, us rich don't forget your zip code <laughs> yes and, and morgan all right <laughs> while we're at it date of birth last for social <laughs> mother's maiden yeah. name mother's maiden name <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week for the second half of number seven, The Stranger. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.